This is the business of sports. Let's talk Super Bowl and Fox Sports. Every single thing that occurs, I want people to remember this is a business. Guaranteed money isn't necessarily guaranteed. Michael Barr. How high can these valuations go? Scott Soshnank. Duke. Everybody loves rooting against them, right? Evan Novi Williams. Off the field, the NBA has never been buzzier. And the leaders in the sports industry. Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred. Mike Oresco, he's the commissioner of the American Athletic Conference. Jared Smith, president of Ticketmaster. Mindy race car driver, Elio Castroneves. Bloomberg Business of Sports. From Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Michael Bond. I'm Evan Novi Williams. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Every week at this time, plus Mondays and Wednesdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Coming up, we sit down with Nashville Soccer Club. CEO Ian Ayer, whose team makes its MLS debut this weekend against Atlanta United for the 25th season of Major League Soccer. That's straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports show. But first, let's look at some of the top stories of the week, beginning with the Premier Lacrosse League's sponsorship deal with Ticketmaster. The partnership includes an uncommon wrinkle in pro team sports. The company's name will be part of the league's official title. What do you think about that, Barr? I, I, I'm trying to figure that out. Well, he's a NASCAR NAS guy. Yeah, he should uh, powered he should by Ticketmaster. That's, That's what, what I'm saying. Oh, well, we see it all the time. Every race that we well, see you see in it because Nashville. you watch NASCAR, but you don't see it a lot in team sports. You don't see it That's in the right. NFL. You don't see it in the NBA or hockey. You don't see it a lot in team sports. So the PL PLL once again taking a, uh, one of its pages from individual sports, and of course you have a young tech savvy demographic. Ticketmaster loves that. Uh, they'll get some commercials. They get tie-ins with the players, use as influencers. I'm told by some sources, and the, and the league and Ticketmaster wouldn't say how much, but I'm told a deal like this would probably go for about a million bucks a year. So once again, the PLL adding uh, to what seems to be a successful first season coming up on season two. It, it seems clear that what the PLL is building, and this is probably true of lacrosse writ large, a very passionate group of fans. Uh, and as you said, you know, very creative, very tech savvy, younger, you know, those are all demographics that companies want to reach. Uh, so I certainly understand why Ticketmaster- Disposable income? for Exactly. Yeah. Another big one. So for, you know, for, for what is not a huge part of the Ticketmaster global marketing budget, uh, I certainly understand why they want to get deeper and deeper involved with this community for sure. Meantime, Delta Airlines has signed a $400 million deal with the organizers of the 2028 LA Games and NBC Universal. I've heard of those guys. Becoming the official airline of Team USA and the 2028 Games. Yeah, so this is the first major deal under the big partnership, which we talked about a few months ago, in which partnerships, sponsorships for the LA 2028 Games are sold kind of in concert with NBC. So a portion of this $400 million deal is going to be spent with LA 2028 and the and the USOC, USOPC, the, the, the local organizing committee. And another portion is going to be spent buying ads on NBC. This is the way, you know, partnerships for the next eight years leading up to the LA games are going to go. It's going to be a joint deal where you're buying some spots with NBC and you're also buying you know, parts with the, with the local committee. You know when you watch those radar screens, it's really crowded with planes? That's how I feel we are with sponsorship because Delta yeah. now is replacing United, which had the deal. And let's not forget, American Airlines has the naming rights to the kind of pavilion outside the new Kroenke Stadium in L.A., which will be used for the Olympics. But the way the marketing rules go, you can't say that. So it'll just be known as Delta 
the only airline to get some play, getting kind of crowded. Yeah, in that I think space. United also is the one of the main partners for the Coliseum, right? Which is also going to be used in yeah. the Olympics as well. So, but yeah, they won't be. A lot but they won't be referenced. A lot of competitors that are going to get their signage covered up uh, during the games. With all those airlines, uh, I'm glad the deal isn't terminal. <laughs> see oh what, my get, gosh! See what I did? Come on! Come on! Oh come on! Oh. <laughs> okay, leave me out there. All right, fine. Uh, finally, Major League Soccer kicks off its 25th season. Here in America, we're saying, who knew? Overseas, everywhere else, they're like, yeah, we knew. Jonathan Farrell said this the best. It's like, the most popular sport in the world, and we're still playing catch-up. Well, it's not catch-up. It's it's uh, MLS is 25 years. When you think about the length of time the NFL has been around, 100 years, and the NBA has been around, uh, it's a slow build. You don't just start a league and become the EPL. You have to justify with the revenues. And um, you have David Beckham's team also coming in along with Nashville. And we're talking with Ian Eyre you know, later in the show, uh, the CEO of Nashville Soccer Club, about that slow build, about the commitment to the community. How do you build the business with the revenues being what they are? Because it's about the future. It's about what can we do? You have scarcity value in franchises. All the things that these savvy investors, by the way, getting involved in MLS, um, it, it's all what do they see down the road for this sports league? Yeah, and there's, you know, you're going to hear it from Ian Air. There's tremendous optimism right now among executives and owners in Major League Soccer. Um, you know, we heard them say earlier this week uh, they think in 10 years Major League Soccer could be the, the third biggest league in, in the U.S. behind the NFL and the NBA. Uh, and one other big thing to think about on the horizon, America is hosting the World Cup in 2026. Um, and that, you know, when they hosted the World Cup last time, huge boon for soccer domestically led to the creation of, of MLS, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so they are also looking at that as, as probably a massive inflection point commercially fan wise for the league and also for the national team. That's going to be a big one as well. Tony Mayola, Tab Ramos, Eric Winalda. These are the names that, that <laughs> were go. all big then. Now let's get to this week's interview with Nashville soccer club CEO, Ian air Ian, there's one thing we like to promise people on the Business of Sports podcast. You know what that is? That's my song. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's your song. But on this show, it's You'll Never Talk Alone. <laughs> so, so it's been quite the ride, but Nashville SC Soccer Club. By the way, why SC and not FC? Because I see FC, all the American teams seem to take the FC. Why the decision for SC? Um, it was part of when we um, when we started to pull the whole thing together, the brand, the name, colors. We, we uh, You probably know there's a reasonably good uh, amateur history here and then obviously USL history. Um, and we wanted to do something authentic, but we also wanted to pay respect to the people who'd come before in soccer in our city, and so we retained that name. That was the name in USL and the most recent name in, in amateur game, and, and we wanted to retain the colors as well. So it was more of a tribute to those who'd gone before and not to change it just because we were going to MLS. I want to ask this because I don't think people really appreciate it. How much thought investment, de debate, discussion, research goes into 
colors, name, uniform, logo. How much goes into all that? Yeah, it's a lot. I think I think for us, as I said there, I think, you know, some of it was made easy because we didn't change too much. Um, but it but it wasn't without thought. You know, it wasn't just a case of, well, let's just stick with what we already had. It was more of, you know, who do we want to be? How do we want to be perceived? And, you know, Nashville's a very, in some ways, understated city in the sense that, you know, it's not too flash. It's fun and exciting and but you know, people aren't very bling bling here, which which I really like. And but there's also a lot of energy, and and so the logo, you know, the N in the middle of the logo, and then the the sort of sound bars or sound waves either side of it are really to reflect that, reflect you know the energy of who we want to be as a soccer team, and the energy of this city right now, where you've got all these people and businesses and all these things kind of coming here as well as all the energy and sound that was already here because it's the music city. So it's that type of thought and thinking that went into it. And then we wanted to stick with the, as our fans call it, the golden blue. And, you know, but we just wanted to kind of turn the heat up on them a little. So the, so the new yellow and or gold in the, in the kit and the, and the colors is really vibrant. It's called uh, shock yellow, um, you know, and it's and it's a really strong color um, and a really strong blue to it as well. So, so there was definite thought and thinking and process, uh, but but much of it was tradition uh, to where we'd come from. I'm still hearing a bit of an accent from you. When do you think you're going to get rid of that Tennessee twang? you know i've been um i've been i lived all over the world i lived in asia for the best part of about 15 years and i lived in germany and spain but you know can never take the the liverpool piece out of the boy that's the thing i've heard you say that you think liverpool and nashville actually are, are kind of similar cities i would love to hear your explanation for for why you see that yeah i it you know they're nothing i mean you know, visually, they look nothing like each other. I, but I think that, you know, that cultural music heritage is similar. We had this little band from the Liverpool called the Beatles, you may have heard of, mm. um, <laughs> you know, and a few others. And, and and the warmth, you know, the South, that Southern hospitality that's really evident here in Nashville is, it really reminds me of home. You know, you go to Liverpool. Some My dad used to say to me, like, thing about having a drink in a bar in Liverpool, you can't drink on your own even if you want to because, because people people just won't leave you alone. You'll never know, drink alone. Well, what if, what if you're wearing a Manchester City shirt? Yeah, well, if you're wearing a Manchester City shirt, you wouldn't be drinking in Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let Scott give you the business. My father's family is all from Tennessee, and we're about as country as an outhouse. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, don't let them give you. The, but I, I would like to to bring up the point that in Tennessee, uh, it's an audience where it's surprising that all of a sudden, Major League Soccer is taking off. Yeah, I guess I think I think this is a I think it's great sort of identifier for MLS overall and soccer overall in this country, which is I think that. As somebody coming in from the outside and, and, you know, of the country and coming in and even observing, uh, the growth of MLS over, over many years. One, one thing that I find that's quite consistent is most people played soccer, you know, whether it's in Tennessee or else, you know, growing up at school, their kids play. It may not be their number one sport, but that, but most of them have an identity with the sport in the sense that they played it at some, 
you know, junior level or what have you. And I think that now that they're seeing this thing grow, now that they're seeing that it's the major league level, and now they're seeing that there's, and you know, people follow people, right? We we had a kind of slow build up to the to the energy on ticket sales and other things, and then all of a sudden, it's like this tidal wave of interest, and we're like literally can't get enough tickets out the door at the moment and and the same give us some numbers if you can you you know you're opening this weekend you know what's the what's the season ticket what's what are the ticket sales numbers so we were um i don't know the season ticket number right now just because i've been i I was up in new york yesterday and um but we uh over fifty thousand. we were at fifty thousand this time yesterday that sounds Um, good uh, yeah, and I think uh, I think from something an email I got on the flight back last night, uh, we'd sold I think another two thousand or something yesterday. So it's, I mean, it's just going crazy. It's like, and th- these are the busiest days as well. So I expect that number gets bigger again today, and then going in, you know, into the the weekend. So it's, you know, it's um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think that we always felt that there would be good uh, energy, but you'd never really know. It's a it's a bit of a leap of faith, right? When you've never done it before in this city before with this sport before, um, you just have to see what happens and hope you do the right thing to, to get people there. You just use that phrase, the leap of faith. I think that's something that any entrepreneur, any business person, anybody who's going to start something uses that phrase, a leap of faith. And you guys, you've taken it. Yeah, I, you know, look, that I think it's a great testament to our owner, uh, principal owner John Ingram, you know, he he's the guy putting the most money up on this, and that's, you know, very entrepreneurial. But he he really cares about... Uh, it was one of the key reasons I agreed to come myself was, you know, listening to his vision of what he wanted to create. He wanted to create this in Nashville, for Nashville, with Nashville. And this is a guy who doesn't need to make any more money. You know, there's easier ways to invest and make money than, than starting a, a Major League Soccer team. Does he, he know you're saying that to people, this is a guy who doesn't need to make more money? Does he know you're saying that? <laughs> uh, I don't think he listens. At least I hope he doesn't. <laughs> he, better listen to, well, he better listen to this show. <laughs> no, I'm not. But, but you know what I mean? It's like it's, there, are, there are easier ways. But, it, but he did this because of his passion for the sport and his passion for his city. This is his city. And he made a great comment last week at an event where he said, there is absolutely no chance I would not do this anywhere else for anywhere else. And I think that, you know, when you take a leap of faith, as he did, and when you make that, but you make it with so much passion and belief, then often these things, you know, are successful. And, um, you know, that, that we're, we're so lucky to have somebody who's, the, you know, the front guy for this thing that really believes in it that much. Ian, you mentioned earlier Nashville's rich music history. How big of an asset is that for you as you think about game day experience, maybe integrating the music into what you guys are doing outside of just soccer? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's it's clearly a key part of the DNA of of this city and and also of sport really. I think I think, you know, I've seen a in a piece at an MLS um uh, conference a year or so ago where somebody was talking about where teams have you know integrated music somehow into their organization it's been really successful and if you can't do that in the music city where can you do it and obviously the two biggest parts that we've focused on for that one is that we had our own um let's say anthem rather than chant anthem written for the team um by local band judah and the lion who are 
as apart from being from Nashville and being awesome, uh, also in the FIFA uh, EA Sports game, that some of the music in that, and they wrote an incredible anthem which they've just released. Um, so that's a big part of it. They'll perform live at our opening game, and we'll you know play the anthem every game. And then um, we also aligned with Gibson Guitars, who uh, in their custom shop here in Nashville built us a, a Nashville SC guitar, which we'll have as the sort of almost like the right before the ref Rose's whistle, we'll have uh, you know a big guitarist come out every game and play a riff to get the crowd whipped up and you know our own version of a kind of hype video really and 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 we just think it's fun it's kind of what people like in our city and it, you know it's it's just about bringing music and soccer together and creating some energy around the games when i think of professional teams that have done this well the two that jump out to me the vegas golden knights who have integrated you know the the entertainment aspect of their city into their games and then the nashville predators in in, in your town you know who have it seems like every national anthem is a is a huge grammy winning uh country artist um how many are we going to see a lot of performances at halftime before games kind of what is it going to look like for fans uh, for nashville sc fans on yeah game that, days? that's part of it you know we i've i've used uh I've been using a phrase for a while here, which is we're trying to create, and, and it's important to say before I say it, that what we can create at, at Nissan Stadium, where we're a sort of tenant, and what we'll create in the new stadium will be very different. But, but our, our goal and our vision is exactly that, to have live performances at games, before games, after games, uh, live music in and around concourses, these types of things. In, in the short term, uh, at Nissan, where we're, we have some level of and ability to do whatever we want, we, you know, it is about those things. So it's about having uh, the big, you know, the big guitar moment, and we, you know, have different people. We have a fantastic female guitarist coming out uh, for opening day, Lizzie Hale from the band rock band Hailstorm. I think she's the preeminent female rocker. And loves to, you know, make that guitar wail. So, so we're really excited about having her open for us. But through this, I think we'll surprise some people with who will, who will get up there to, to, to deliver that moment. And, and as you say, you know, it'll also be about putting people on the field to perform, you know, before games and, you know, other stuff. But, it, you know, it's a great city to do it in. There's always somebody, Looking for a microphone and a stage in this city, so we're you know we're in the right place. And 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 I'm glad you mentioned the Predators because we're first of all we have an incredible relationship with them, but we're also hugely respectful of what they've achieved. And I think they've shown just as as you said has happened in Vegas that when you get it right, when you create a show, people really come to it and support it. That's happened with the Predators. It's happened in Vegas. And we hope it happens for us. And, you know, if you're going to be in this city, you need to put on a show because there's a lot of choice. Uh, that's almost any city. We're chatting with Ian Eyre, the CEO of Nashville Soccer Club. Ian, you mentioned the stadium. That was a bit of a start and go. Are you another case in point of where we now know that folks love their sports teams, want to have them, want to keep them, but they just don't want their tax dollars going to them? What did we learn in the process? Um, well, I think that, you know, we... Uh, I'm pretty agnostic on, you know, on the tax dollar element in the sense that, you know, I, I think if a city doesn't want to put its tax, dollar, tax dollars up, then that's for the city to decide and the voters to decide or the, or, the, or the council to decide. But 
But when you make that deal, it should be a deal, right? Whatever it is, whether it's tax dollars or other things. And that was, I think, for me, as somebody, again, you know, I don't like to speak too much about what Tennessee or Nashville should do politically because, you know, I'm a relative newcomer or, or visitor this city and this state. But, but if you make a deal, you make a deal. And to make a deal and then, you know, change, try to change that deal, that, I kind of am also okay with that. But when one person, in our case, the mayor, then says, I want to, you know, we have some financial issues. Could you come to the table and, you know, try help us out? I think that's also okay. And we have an owner who's, who cares about the city, as I said before. But when you do that and in the process shut down, your, your you know build process for four months until you get what you want. I, I don't feel like that's what Nashville is or represents, and I think that's the bit that I find difficult. I don't think it's whether it was tax dollars or not. I think it was the process that that was wrong. Fortunately, we're past it now. I think the person who deserves all the praise for that is John Ingram um, for coming back to the table, albeit that he had, in my opinion, one arm stressed up his back but but you know he's a good person he did a good thing and we're back on track Ian, i want to go macro on you now not just your team but the league as a whole the the one conversation i have with bankers all the time when it comes to mls and i'm going to ask for your elevator pitch because you're the ceo of a club how do the finances of the teams of the league justify the valuations that we're seeing now? I'm, I'm seeing five, six, seven hundred million dollars for a league and its teams that don't necessarily uh, produce a commensurate amount of revenue right now. I think, I think if you look across um, all sports, really, you know, I think in certain places the. First of all, these are they're like a commodity, right? So there's only a certain number that can exist. And although MLS continues to, you know, and has continued to add um, franchises to the model, it, uh, everyone knows at some point that the door will close. And you know, like the NFL, you know, you'll have this this glut of teams that will just keep growing and prospering, and media will grow. And I think it's I think that's you know, you used the word earlier about entrepreneur. I think. You know, it is a leap of faith, but if you get in at this point when there are still opportunities to get into this business, um, of course it's a slow start, but isn't that the same as, you know, I don't know, when the tech, you know, when the dot-com era started or when other areas started, you know, social media companies, these types of things. It's like nobody's really making any money at the start. They talk about having lots and lots of followers and they don't really make any, and then all of a sudden, you know, they consolidate, you end up with a defined number of big organizations or big platforms in the social media, media analogy, and all of a sudden they do start making money and all of a sudden they do start generating the right revenue. And, and I think that's what we're seeing with MLS. You're seeing the teams growing, the teams improving. You're seeing revenue getting better, maybe not good enough yet to, to drive real um, returns, but the valuations are growing because... You know, as a commodity, the numbers getting the number of opportunities to get in the game are getting smaller, and therefore the opportunity grows. I, I think it's based on looking at futures of these these franchises and looking at the growth of the game, all the metrics for the business itself. You know, the number of people watching on TV, the number of people attending, the number of people spending on sponsorship and other things. Um, they're all growing year on year. 
So it's a business in on an incline. It's just got to you know make sure that it finds the right way to balance that cost base, which is predominantly players uh, and big infrastructure projects, which often come at the start. Um, but I think in the long term, they look like a really smart investment. Would you agree that the most promising part of that revenue possibility is the media component? That we're in a world now where if you can scale through technology, you can reach who knows how many eyeballs, and there is certainly that thirst for live content. Yeah, I do. I think that, you know, and I saw that in my time in the Premier League, that, you know, that the better the quality of the game you put on the field is crucial, but then... As you go forward and as the interest and an audience grows, you have to consolidate the quality of the viewing product on television. And I think, well, I know that MLS and they've said publicly that their plan is to keep improving that overall picture. And they're a few years out from their next deal. You know, I would like, personally, I think there's a real opportunity to see proper consolidation with centralized production. And again, just you know, using my own experience, if you look at the product that the Premier League produces uh, in a centralised production deal, it's I think it's one of the best in the world. It's it's at least as good as the quality of what you see when you see a you know an NFL broadcast as an example. And and we, you know MLS is tracking towards that. I think that you know if you get the media dollars right, as you said, you know they're already reaching other countries around the world with MLS. Once the quality and the and the reach of that product gets bigger, then you start to get people peering in from all sorts of countries. And that, you know, when I left Liverpool, um, we were averaging about 50 million followers on social media worldwide, um, and that just shows you the size of an organisation from a little city in the United Kingdom and the number of people from around the world peering in and watching their games and all of the other content. Let's talk about the, the the product for a second. You ran one of the biggest, most successful, one of the best soccer teams in the world. How different is the Premier League product on-field soccer right now to what you see in the MLS? Um, I think the on-field product, you know, look, at the end of the day, it's the same product. I think the challenges in this market uh, come from other things. I think that uh, obviously, revenue is a key component which attracts the best talent. Mm-hmm. Um, I think weather, climate is a challenge. You know, you're playing through the summer, so, you know, something I learned in my time here working with our team here is that, you know, somebody who, you know, can play box to box in the Premier League, in a, you know, we don't really see a lot of sunshine in Liverpool. Um, but, you know, that, that player may struggle at a certain age to deliver the same level of performance in 100 degrees hmm. in the middle of the summer in Nashville or Houston or whatever it might be. And, and I think, so I think there's that balancing to get right. I think the different games, I think there's some stuff that MLS does that's actually better than the Premier League. I think, you know... The, like what? The, the, well, these initiatives to keep the game flowing. So if you watch, the, the amount of time that the ball is out of play in, in MLS is much less than any other league. So they have these initiatives to get the ball back in play, get play, you know, get it moving again. Balls on stands around the, you know, around the ground, and more ball boys or girls or whatever it is. I, I think it's one of the things I really admire about MLS is that because they're trying to grow all the time, they're also prepared to make change. Whereas these big juggernauts like the Premier League, which I'm hugely 
impressed by and in awe of having worked there. That, but they're, they're, they are like super tankers. Trying to get them to change course on anything is so difficult. Whereas MLS is hungry and dynamic, and it goes back to that thing. It's like the young entrepreneurial organization versus the big public company. You know, it's they, they can be different. They can try things, and they can. And I think so. I think it's hard to compare them. I think that. MLS is certainly tracking upwards towards, you know, that big four or five leagues in Europe. It's certainly catching them up. And I think if you can continue to improve at the rate and grow at the rate that MLS is, then I think it can absolutely make ground. I I, I don't know. I'm not smart enough probably or knowledgeable enough yet here to know how far that can go. But I think that, um, you know, players, players at the top end of this league, um, they could hold their own in, in some Premier League teams, I would say. We're talking with Ian Eyre, Nashville SC CEO. And if you want to hear the eyeballs roll in the back of Scott and Evan's head, they're going to love this question. And you're, I, you're, I, you're already teeing up my eyeballs. I, I, I the trip. <laughs> I, I got a purpose for this question. Do they still have Stuckies down there in the South? They still have what? Stuck, yeah. <laughs> Good question. The, the and the eyeball goes to the rear of the head. There used to be a restaurant chain that I used to go to all the time that was down in the south called Stuckey's. And uh, there was a in a regional in the area. And now here's the point for asking about Stuckey's. Oh, here's Stuckies. the point. Okay. Here's the point. Oh, there's a point, Ian. There's I'm sorry. Here. Here's the point. Oh, <laughs> now with the team in Nashville, uh, and, and a lot of exposure to the the sports figures there in Nashville. They'll do a lot of local ads for local businesses, which is one way to get exposure to the the team and for people to learn about the athletes on the team. Have the athletes there done anything like that? Uh, not yet. Only because I mean, our because we're an expansion team. Of course, our players arrived about eight weeks ago and spent, spent the first six of those eight weeks in Florida um, in preseason. So Keep them out of Nashville because they'll eat so well that they'll put on <laughs> 10 pounds before the season. So that was a good move. Exactly, exactly. But, but what I would say is that, you know, we it, it's right to say that, that you know, we have and feel it's really important to surround ourselves, obviously, with big organizations that can put – the right investment into our club, but also to make sure that we also capture that local flavor. You know, and, and your point is well made about local businesses. That's a very Nashville thing. I'm sure it's the case in other towns and cities, but people love a good, independent, you know, smaller organization that delivers great product. And, and, and this is a food city. Whether it was in the past, I couldn't comment, but it's absolutely a food city now. And it's something that we... I've paid a lot of attention to in our new stadium where we're almost trying to build what we've called a food story. You know, you want people to leave that game at the new stadium and talk about the soccer first, but also talk about the food. Nobody does that at venues for sports. How, how much is a beer at the stadium? Uh, for you, it's free. I'm buying. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. But I like my cold, just so you know. I'm typically American that way. Well, that's good. I'm, I'm English, so I like a nice warm beer, but there you go. Ian, we're getting to the end here, so we want to put you on the hot seat a little bit. Every year, your uh, European teams, Premier League teams, spend some time in the U.S. in the summer, oftentimes playing MLS teams. If in a couple years Liverpool comes to Nashville to play Nashville F- SC, who are you rooting for? Uh, I'm, I'm rooting for – well, I, 
You know, this has happened to me. I used to be the a long time back in 99. I was chairman and an owner at Huddersfield Town. And we drew Liverpool at our stadium in the FA Cup. Mm. And I got, exact, I got asked the exact same question. And the answer was, I'm rooting for, in this case, I'm rooting for Nashville because that's my team, right? But I have, I have both horses in the race. So, you know, either way, I come out with a decent day out. So, um, but, but absolutely, I'd be rooting for Nashville. All right, we're going to let you go with this, Ian. Earlier, you said there was very little sunshine in Liverpool. I'm looking at the EPL table right now. It looks bright and sunny to me in Liverpool. I'm going to I'm going to give you a chance to flex a little bit on that one. Uh, yeah, I mean listen, they I I couldn't be happier, you know. I've supported the team 50 years, worked there for 10 years. Um feel really proud that I had a, you know, chance to play a part in their resurgence and you know, I looked on Saturday in the ga- Monday, sorry, the game. I think there were nine uh, players of the players on the field, players on the bench. Nine of them that I signed in my time there. So, feeling good about what they're going to achieve this year, and um, I just have you know the greatest admiration for everybody at that club, and it's going to be a great year. Ian Eyre, the Nashville SC CEO. Thank you so much for joining us. You got to find out if Stuckey's is still around. Man. I love that <laughs> restaurant as a kid. <laughs> I don't have much going on this weekend. <laughs> I'm gonna go check it out. <laughs> All of a sudden, I can't wait. You're going to hear on your broadcast. And today, Stucky's playing with the game. So. Oh, Ian, thank you so much, sir. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. I want to find out if Stucky's is still in the South. And I want to find out. If only we had a vehicle, a technological vehicle, where you could find out. Bling. By the end of this sentence, Evan Noby Williams is going to be on the Google. And he's going to let you know, in Nashville, the location, address, phone number, hours of operation of the local Stuckies. It looks like there is a Stuckies there we go. In, in East Tennessee. Ooh. Perfect. Uh, way, way, way east. Yeah. Like way oh. east of Knoxville. Nowhere near. Oh, it's east okay. of west. Yeah, Nashville does not appear to have a Stuckies. Oh, so, uh, question answered. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, if only. Right, but there's so. so many local of uh, businesses there that I, I always thought that was a great way for an athlete to get their face out from those kind of ads or for an auto dealership or whatever. Yeah, I, I'm just impressed and happy to hear that he understands that the game itself these days is not enough. Players. Uh, are great. They're the focal point. I hear you, but you want kids to go. There better be something for else that, for them to look at, for them to hear, for them to listen. It has to be a from ingress to egress fun time, and and parking counts. And how fast do I get out? The whole shebang. It is an entertainment proposition, not just the the time that those guys are playing on the field. It is not enough anymore. Agreed. And if the if the modern day in stadium experience requires other forms of entertainment, having a team based in Nashville is a pretty darn good way to to, yep. to ensure yeah. that you can do that. I'm very interested. You know, we talked about the the Golden Knights. We talked about the Nashville Predators. Very interested to see how this new. Uh, new team to MLS, uh, how the Nashville team really works with the city, gets recording artists, gets famous uh, local bands, gets even you know bands who are coming into town who aren't even local. Very interested to see how that kind of augments uh, the experience, especially when, as he said, you know when they're done playing in Nissan Stadium, which.
which is where uh, where the NFL team plays, when they move to their own stadium, which I'm sure is going to be tricked out with all the stage accompaniments and maybe even smaller amphitheaters or stages around the concourse, um, once all that happens, I'm sure we're going to see an even higher level of engagement with the music community. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since the kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Time now for the number of the week. All right. Now, you gave me one, and then another one popped up in my head. Oh, he went off. He went, he went, I tried to <laughs> spoon-feed, he went off the board. You did, I did, I did. It's okay. like, now, at last week, obviously, was the huge Tyson Fury-Deontay Wilder fight. Yes. How many pay-per-views did that fight rack up? Hmm. So we had an estimate on yeah, the show had the estimate last week from, from Bob, Bob Arum. Arum. Yeah. Um, and I'm I actually didn't say, see the final number, but I believe Bob was a little over-enthusiastic about it. I, I was going to say, total. I bet you Bob went high. Yeah. I've got a guess. Okay. Well, go ahead. Give me I'm going to say one million. Uh, a little lower. Okay. Uh, I was going to say 700,000. A little higher. All right. Okay. So. so it was around between 800,000 to 850,000 pay-per-views. At 80 bucks a pop? Yes. Yeah. Do I, do and I that's have just in the U.S., right? Uh, in North America. Yes, yep. okay. In, in North America. Right. Yeah. Now, but he's in Canada. The fight, the first one, only drew, I think, about, about 300,000. Okay. And so it's, I mean, and plus keep in mind there are much more, we have more vehicles for people to view this sure. fight. You know, it's not just, you know, old man bar sitting in front of, of the, the cable. Filco. Yeah. <laughs> and keep in mind, they've already signed the deal for number three. Now, the loser, mm-hmm. Wilder, has to determine whether or not he wants to do it. Which it sounds like he does want yeah, to do give me the from, what, from what he yeah. said. Sounds yeah. like he shouldn't wear a costume. But anyway, uh, yeah. I, I'm sorry. That, did, did I say that out loud? That should have been the number of the week, 45. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Better number. <laughs> you've, you've been listening. 45 pounds of costume. You've been listening to Bloomberg Ooh, Business of Sports. We're here each and every week for you at the same time. Plus online, wherever you get your podcasts. You can catch those Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. I'm Evan Novi Williams at Novi underscore Williams. And I'm Scott Soshnick. You can follow me on Twitter at Soshnick. Thank you very much for joining us. Please tune in next week when we once again speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world.